Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Mind. 
Hello and welcome to the Right Voice Radio Show. I am your host, Adrian Ross, and I'm glad to be with you for another Tuesday. And uh, we have a great show for you tonight. We are talking about Dr. King's dream and race relations in the Obama era, even as tonight the president will give his, his final State of the Union address. We are on right up until the point where he comes on. So um, I'm glad that you're tuned in. And when you're done here, you can you can turn the television on and, and take a look at Representative Sheila Jackson Lee from the state of Texas, who will no doubt have and be ready to knock over anybody who gets in her way of getting that yearly kiss from the president. That's always the sight to behold. And if you were not planning on tuning in, let me just tell you, just that alone is worth tuning into the State of the Union address that is coming up in an hour. I don't know what I, uh, after this year, I don't know if I will miss more. Uh, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, willing to tell anybody in her way, or if I miss more seeing Nancy Pelosi behind the president up as if she is in church all the time. So it's, it's interesting. Like that's coming up later. But right now, you are tuned in to the right voice. So here you made the right choice. And the phone number to call is 6420037153715. Again, that is 6420037153715. And I want to remind you that the right voice is on social media. We are on Twitter and we are on Facebook. At Twitter, it is at the right voice. Again, at the right voice one, and on Facebook, it is the right voice, the right voice radio. And I'd like you to go and uh, hit us up over there on social media. Tell your friends about it, and don't keep it to yourself. All right. Once again, this show is um, Dr. King's dream and race relations Obama era. So we're going to be talking about that as we are approaching the celebration of Martin Luther King Jr., which of course is the third day of January every year. So it's coming up uh, this this Monday on the 18th. So um, we're going to talk about that, but we have so much politics. There's definitely a lot of politics. But first, I have a guest with us tonight, and I'm excited about having him. His name is Jerome Hudson, and, and we are of the sort. We both work for Breitbart News. You will recall that I had on our executive chairman, K. Bannon was a guest, as well as our Second Amendment expert, A.W.R. Hawkins. So it was it was bright bark pack last week, and we're riding that wave this week with um, Jerome Hudson. And so we're we're gonna, he and I are going to talk about Dr. King, and we're going to talk about race relations under this under this president. And uh, and so I'm glad to have him. I'm going to welcome him in in a moment. <clears throat> but first, let me just sort of let me just set this up. Okay, let's set the stage here. Uh, you know, it's interesting because young people today, when, when you know, they think about Martin Luther King Day and they, they think that, uh, you know, they think that it's, it's, it always was, you know, sort of like Thanksgiving or Christmas. It, ju- it just was. They don't really spend a lot of time thinking about the origin of it. But for, um, for me, you know, I remember when it became a holiday. You know, I remember that that um, the song that came out, which I hope to play later. So, um, 
you know, President Reagan signed that holiday into law in 83, and it was first observed three years later. So we're, we're talking, we're talking 30, 30 years ago, okay? Um, and so it's, it's been, we've been, I mean, I'm not old, old, but I'm, I remember, I clearly remember. My, uh, my guest, Jerome Hudson, will, uh, let me just give you some background information about him. Um, he, as I said, works with Breitbart, joined that, um, I believe, this past summer. And when he did, he received high praise from our leadership. You know, um, our president and CEO, Larry Solov, wrote, he said that Jerome is a fresh, young, and insightful new voice that we're happy to add to our site. Our executive chairman, whom we met last week, Stephen Bannon, said he is a top investigative reporter, political analyst, and social commenter. Jerome is a great addition to our team. He's also a member of uh, Project 21, which is the National Leadership Network of Black Conservatives. Our editor-in-chief, Alex Marlowe, said Jerome is a smart, thoughtful young man. He comes to us from the Government Accountability Institute. Uh, and so I could, I could go, go on and on about him, but, but then we probably wouldn't have time to talk to him, and that's the point. So um, I do know that, that he studied editing, writing, and media and political science at Florida State University. So let me, let me throw that out there. Um, so please join me in welcoming Jerome Hudson. Jerome, how are you? Well, I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'm very glad that you took the time to join us tonight. No, I uh, thank you for having me on, and uh, thank you for that amazing introduction. I I could have, you know, listened to you for a few more minutes. Um, <laughs> we could. We could. <laughs> <laughs> you could have listened to me while I while I talk about you. Well, your accomplishments seem to be seem to be to be many and so I'm I'm grateful that we have your voice tonight. Um you know it's interesting maybe I'm just under a rock somewhere but I haven't heard much this this year uh about uh, about uh president uh, uh president my mind is on president Obama already. I haven't heard so much about about Dr. King so much this year but this is like the 30th year that it was celebrated and so his dream right. is one of you know when we talk about Dr. King a lot of times the only thing some people know about him is that you know I have a dream speech and of course that's not the totality of who he was but it's a great place to start so I'm going to ask right. you when you when you hear about Dr. King's dream what how would you define that um, and encapsulate that for us being the race relations expert that you are. Um, well, yeah, Dr. Martin Luther King had a dream, and uh, to paraphrase, it was his dream that his 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 children, and he had several children, uh, many of them are alive today, that they mm -hmm. would be able to live in an American society uh, that did not view them uh, by the color of their skin, uh, did not give them the moniker of being black uh, mm -hmm. or African-American, but would uh, view them by the content of the character, by their, their God-given talent uh, and their ability to uh, make marks in whatever their um, profession was uh, and wherever their place happened to be in life. Uh, what, and what we have today, uh, if I will, is certainly an America that is not equal but is far uh, less segregated as a society, uh, institutional racism, uh, that we saw five decades, decades ago 
during the civil rights uh, movement is, is 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 all but. I mean, it is no longer that the federal government has institutionalized racism in our society, um, mm-hmm. and so we have not uh, reached the mountaintop. Um, but for all intents and purposes, we certainly are closer. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that was that was actually what I was what I was going to say. I was going to ask you, okay. You said you said we haven't reached there. We're we're further along. In in what way? I mean, give me an example. To what extent do you feel like we are further along than than we were before? Um, I read white papers all the time, and and what that means is I I read uh, the uh, Pew Research, Gallup, mm-hmm. these organ these polling organizations. They've been around for a long time, and they're dedicated uh, to really getting the pulse of the American people. And a lot mm-hmm. of the questions that I find fascinating are the ones geared toward race relations and racial harmony. And mm-hmm. the numbers are – I mean, I'm not surprised, but if you look at the national news uh, a fair amount, you'd get the impression that that America is just a, a beehive, you know. <laughs> if you're black, you are basically two steps away from getting shot by a cop or arrested or thrown in jail for a crime you didn't commit. But mm-hmm. the numbers uh, that are produced by these, again, longstanding national polling agencies, I mean, the number of interracial uh, relationships, interracial, excuse me, interracial marriages, right. <clears throat> Is is about twenty uh, fifteen and twenty percent in this country, and that's just marriages. So that doesn't mean people who cohabitate and are not married uh, or who are living together. I mean, that's black and white. That's black and Asian, white and Asian. I mean, you name it. Um, the 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 outstanding number of people who think that America is uh, pretty much racially harmonized. It's interesting because up until Barack Obama's presidency, that number had been reaching close to, uh, you know, 99% among blacks and among whites. But but around about the 2008-2009 years when you started to see those numbers backslide. But nevertheless, I mean, the country, people who wake up and live their lives every day agree that, that we've come a long way as, as viewing one another, whether we look different or not as equal as Jefferson would want us to, that all men are created equal, certainly in the eyes of the law. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we have made advancements, you're saying, as a people, and yet yeah. we do have, we, we have some, some things that are, that are concerning. I mean, you talked about the issue with, with the cops and, and I want to bring up Black Lives Matter because I know that you have some expertise in that area. And what, do you notice out there, out and about, with this movement, is it beneficial or is it a detriment to the black community? Oh no, it's it's absolutely toxic. Um, hmm. the, the Black Lives Matter movement. I actually wrote a piece um, or a series of pieces. The first one went up yesterday. Uh, Oakland area Congresswoman Barbara Lee invited. Uh, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter to the State of the Union address, Barack Obama's last State of the Union address. And so in introducing Breitbart's audience and, and anyone who 
read the article, I, I just kind of wrote some quotes that this young lady has said, and she's she's basically saying that she honestly, as a as a co-founder of Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. believes that this country needs to move away, and that that movement needs to be about moving America away from a system of capitalism, and mm-hmm. and it needs to be about abolishing the United States justice system. Now, um, we we say for instance we talk about guns and gun control and gun laws. Right. America is the only country with a Second Amendment. It's also the the freest country on earth. Now I don't think those things are a coincidence. America has not a perfect justice system, but it is by far a better justice system that you might find in China or Venezuela or certainly Cuba. Mm-hmm. House south of our shores. Um, right. It's 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 absolutely toxic. It's such a it's a movement that that captures right the national news almost on a daily basis. Right. But it's 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 surface level. If there are any ailments in the in the black community and and many people who uh, you know subscribe to. Uh, liberal thinking on public policy, and and certainly many people who would agree with whatever they might hear from the Black Lives Matter movement would mm-hmm. consider this, you know, blaming the victim. But, I mean, to tie it back to Martin Luther King, and, and at the height of his, uh, you know, p- power, if you will, at the height of his success, at the height of 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 of, of his ability to to move the country into racial harmony. 70 to 80% of black households were led by two-parent homes. Today, mm-hmm. that number is entirely flipped. Yes. When, when Martin Luther King was, was at the height of his success in the civil rights movement, you did not see the number of, of particularly young black men committing the amount of crimes that you see today. When Martin Luther King was alive, you did not see as many black people dependent on as many welfare programs as they are today. And so I'm saying all that to say is that you have this new civil rights elite machine, this progressive movement that is not about getting at the root causes of the things that ill a lot of black people, not all black Americans. You and I certainly are doing well. But there are far too many black Americans who would rather peg racism and uh, a segregated or or racist or prejudiced justice system as the end-all, be-all to the root causes that that are our problems. I Mm -hmm. would suggest, and I do very often and very thoughtfully, I try to put forth and advance the idea that there are a lot of things that we can do better. For ourselves, mm-hmm. if we just have an honest and open conversation, that would move us forward much farther than just blaming racism for all our problems. Right. Now, I know that you you cannot speak for, for Dr. King, and he's not here to speak for himself, but, you know, put on the, the Dr. King hat, if you, if you will, for a moment, and or pick up the Dr. King microphone. What do you think he mm-hmm. would say? To the, the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, there, there's the argument are that you, you say they're toxic. Other people say that they're legitimate. Uh, we can have a conversation, I'm sure, about what their motive is. But what do you right. think he, the voice that he was, would say to those individuals? 
Um, I think he'd be. I think he'd be appalled. Uh, quite honestly, uh, mm-hmm. look, Dr. Martin Luther King was a family man, and that's mm-hmm. largely because Daddy King, his father, Dr. Martin Luther King Sr., also a reverend, was a family man. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 people that that claim his legacy, they promote welfare systems and incentives that incentivize fatherlessness. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Luther, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, he idolized uh, Gandhian nonviolent tactics. A lot of mm-hmm. the people who who organized these Black Lives Matter and all the the myriad other subgroups um, that kind of fall under Black Lives Matter, they they their chance. I mean, they they promote violence against against police and law enforcement right. in the country. Yeah, prime like bacon, right? Pigs in a blanket, prime like bacon. Uh, right, right. And if it's mm-hmm. if it's if it's not as blatant as that, they certainly create an environment around instances uh, where 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 a cop kills uh, an unarmed person who happens to be black. They swoop in and they create an environment that is so vitriolic that someone who is on edge and it doesn't have it all there. They go and commit the violent act, um, mm-hmm. but again, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King would say, "No, look, let us let us examine, you know, ourselves." I mean, he he spoke about that, and quite honestly, Malcolm X did the same thing. He's like, "We need to clean our own house before mm-hmm. we point the finger somewhere else." And again, as right. I've said, we have a fatherlessness problem in this. Uh, among black Americans. We, we yeah. just do. I mean, we just need to be honest about that. We're mm-hmm. a small percentage of the population, but black women who are about, you know, I mean, if you're talking about black women who are, who are pregnantable ages, we're talking about yeah. less than 5% of the population having 30% of the abortion. This is just yeah, a yeah, sad truth. We're, yeah. we're talking about way too many particularly young black men committing disproportionate amounts of crimes that put themselves into in close proximity with police officers. Dr. Martin Luther King wouldn't stand for this crap. I mean, he called it out. <laughs> okay, yeah, um, and you know, one of the things I think he would say too is, and, and I truly believe, we have a, we have a spiritual problem uh, in, mm-hmm. in our, in, um, and you're not going to solve that problem. I mean, and the thing about it is that whenever you point that out, the left they don't want to go there. They don't want to talk about the fact that that over what 75% of our children are born out of wedlock. Um, they don't want to take any account any accountability. It's easier to 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 be the victim. And I'm not saying that there aren't some legitimate issues because we both know that there are. But I'm saying right. that we have to take some personal responsibility. Um, and and that's something that we. It's easier to blame. It's easier to say, well, uh, blame the man, as they say. And we have to do better than this. Well, we 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 do have to do better, and and honestly, we it would be a lot easier if we had a president who took the the role as a leader. Look, you're right; it's very hard. It, I mean, I think it's I think it's a bit of a cultural thing. We're both black, but I'll just speak for myself. Like growing up, you ne- I never really heard any of my black friends or even my black friends' parents or older black people uh, do what's called airing our own dirty laundry. And, and, and so we're talking about having a very honest, Adrian, intellectually mm-hmm. honest conversation about what's ailing 
black America, if you will, we're going Mm -hmm. to be having that conversation in front of a lot of white people. And that makes a lot of black people uncomfortable. But again, I mean, you know, you'd look to the president of the United States, very educated man, you know, has, 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 has accomplished some things in his life. I mean, he has uh, an amazing family. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, and again, educated, smart guy, you'd think that he'd sit back and say, wow, some of these things, again, not to beat the dead horse, but the, the I mean, racism isn't making black people commit the some of the, the crimes that they commit. And honestly, mm-hmm. if you believe that, well, they're just a product of their, of their environment, then that is a very low standard that you have for those black people in those rough neighborhoods because again 50 years ago when Martin Luther King was in the civil rights establishment was marching on black people were living in squalid uh, environments they were Mm -hmm. living destitute and in poverty and they were not committing the drug and the violent crimes that you see today they were having families and those men were marrying those mothers so I mean we we can set the excuses in the, in the BS to the side about whether well, just a product of their environment. The president should say from his State of the Union uh, speech that you know it is it is past time for us to get serious about causing you know solving some of our own problems. But I, I fear that he won't do that, um, mm-hmm. and that and that's really sad because Dr. Martin Luther King would want us to recognize the progress that we've made, but he would also want us to continue to march on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, now, Tavis Smiley was on with Megyn Kelly yesterday, uh, last night, and uh, she asked him whether he felt like uh, under the president that that black people have, have advanced. And, and, and Tavis Smiley said that, um, that he felt like he missed his that he missed his moment. He was somewhat critical of the president. Felt like he missed his moment. Felt like he could do more. Felt like over the last uh, he said ten years that um, that we've sort of been regressing. And he talked, you know, he's talked about our, our our issues that we had as a community. So you know, and you mentioned the president too. So I'm just going to throw this out because is it fair? Is it fair of us to expect him because he is the first black president to you know quote unquote do something for the black community? Or are we expecting too much? Is, it, is that fair? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'll say this because I always say it whenever I'm mm-hmm. on radio, is mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the term first black president, if I was his, the white side of Barack Obama's family, I would just okay, yeah. every time, every time yeah. I heard that. I, mean, I, almost, always I just almost said half black. I did almost say that. And, then, <laughs> right. of course, and, of course, my apologies to Bill Clinton. Who was, of course, the right, really exactly. first black president? <laughs> yes. Jesse Jackson called him the first black president. Yeah. No, it's so. So I said that also, though, to make the point that as absurd as it sounds to me that Barack mm-hmm. Obama is the first black president, it, I think it's also intellectually just as absurd to think that uh, he he's going like like his his presidency is automatically going to fix all those problems that we just spent the last twenty minutes talking about. I mean, mm-hmm. no, I don't. That, that it's it's too much to expect that. That that wouldn't make any any sense at all, really. But again, um, you know, there there are always leaders, right? And leaders effectuate change. We see it every single day in business. Um, we see it, you know, take Breitbart 
uh, news network, for example. We'd be nowhere without the vision of Andrew Breitbart, first of all, mm-hmm. and and certainly our editors, uh, our legal team, you, our copy editors. I love you people. I mean, I think <laughs> you're the guys that make it work, but. You know, leaders effectuate positive change. And again, Barack Obama's given lip service to some of the problems that that are the root causes in a lot of neighborhoods and communities in America, uh, particularly in minority uh, precincts. But he's never, I, I mean, I've written about this. He, Barack Obama avoids Chicago. Half of that city is a Democratic killing field. I mean, Democrats have been running that city in a monopoly for decades, and he he never talks about that. Again, it'd be hard for him because he'd be imp- implicating his own political party. Uh, right. But he but that's what leadership is. You know what I mean? It is you putting yourself in un- uncomfortable positions and doing the hard thing. Mm-hmm. Um, right. He again, he wouldn't be able to solve every problem. Tavis Smiley's beef with. Uh, uh, President Obama is that President Obama didn't do enough. Travis Smiley's written two books, I believe, specifically talking about this with Dr. Carnell West, who is a communist. And they basically beat President Obama over the head for not passing enough public policy, spending enough tax dollars right, to flow right. directly into the right. black community. Their their solution is government. Um, mm-hmm. So you, right. Barack Obama could be as black as Wesley Snipes. He's mm-hmm. a big government spend tax dollar liberal. You know, he could be white, green, mm-hmm. or, or blue. It wouldn't really matter as long as their solution is a government-centered society to help lift uh, uh, blacks or whoever uh, up out of uh, an economic rut. You're always going to get the same result. Right. Exactly. That's the truth. Okay. We're short, short on time here. We're towards the end of our time, but I, I want to ask you this question um, because I know we're obviously in this election cycle, and it's uh, there are a, a plethora of GOP candidates. Mm-hmm. So, my question to you is: Do you think that there is a, a presidential candidate, or maybe even a non-candidate? Maybe there's just some leader out there. But uh, is there someone out there, some leader out there, you feel is able to capture the support and the heart of? Of blacks, we we know that you and I are somewhat considered, um, I don't know, out of the box as, uh, right. uh, you know, as people who are not in line with the Democrat Party. So, um, you know, who is it there that could actually touch the hearts and grab the support of black people who typically do not even look in the direction of of Republicans? Um, you know, I. I'm 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 trained uh in the rhetorical sense. Uh and what I mean is uh Ronald Reagan, he was called mm-hmm. the greatest communicator. And mm-hmm. that is because whether you believed with believed in his policies and his philosophy, when the man spoke, when Ronald Reagan spoke, you listened because you were captivated by nearly every syllable. Um mm-hmm. This is this is not an endorsement, uh, but being here in Florida, Marco Rubio is my senator, and mm-hmm. being that I'm in the capital city of Florida, I've I've met the man uh, many times, and I've been in rooms where he's spoken, and I've seen him uh, carry the same rhetorical sense that he he captivates audiences the way that 
that my mentors speak about uh, Ronald, President Ronald Reagan. And I don't know if Marco Rubio would go there, but I could mm-hmm. see his rhetorical abilities making a, a, a huge impact mm-hmm. on not only captivating the black uh, community, but many uh, pe- areas, if you will, uh, or voting blocks, if you will, that that are not traditionally uh, conservative or Republican voters. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because he just irks the snot out of this black person. I can't take Rubio, but anyway, that's a that's a conversation for, that's a conversation for another like day. Say, it's not it's not a uh, it's not an endorsement. Um, and right. I don't even th- what I, what I mean by that is uh, because I don't want to let that hang out there. I don't mm-hmm. I don't think he I, I I could be wrong, but I just don't think that he would 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 go there if you will. Like Rand Paul goes to HBCU yes. campuses. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Congressman Jim Jordan and um, Paul Ryan they they have this this initiative every every year. I think Star Parker has uh, hosted it where they bring black businessmen and black businesswomen and leaders in the black community. I've just never seen Marco Rubio do the things that uh, Senator uh, Paul and Jim Jordan have done over the years. But again, I mean, you know, he's he's running for the president. So you think at some point he'd reach out to those uh, precincts. But, you know, we'll see. Mm -hmm. Well, I tell you what, I was I was sort I was very I was definitely not a, a Mitt Romney person. But uh, mm-hmm. I was I had to I have to say that I applauded him that he did accept that invitation to I believe it was I believe it was the NAACP he went and spoke and right, um, right. And he even got a little applause there so I thought okay all right dude I, I called him pla- I called him Plastic Man but I said Plastic Man showing a little little spark there you know well, and so well hey he he did adopt that black baby so <laughs> there's that I don't know well I don't know but I. But I I appreciate it, and I and I hope that we I'm I'm concerned because I with with the Black Lives Matter and with this whole thing with law yeah. enforcement and everything it just seems like yes we have made advances and, and, and we have progressed obviously when we look back to Dr King's time and everything we surely have have come far and, and everything we have the first half black brother whatever you want to call him but um right. but I feel like we are regressing I feel like that that this president has where he has a unique or had a unique opportunity to unite i feel like we have become more divided uh everything is about even just today jerome just today on outnumbered i'm listening to geraldo rivera and he basically distilled our the issue with the country down to the fact that the president is black he really believes that the, the that the issues that people have with him are because he's black and it just and i'm thinking Yes, there are people who take issue with that, but I mean, he was elected twice. I don't. I think the vast majority of people that take issue with our president take issue with his policies, with his ideology. And uh, <laughs> yeah, well, if you say it's just because of color, then you don't take responsibility for your policies. It's a scapegoat. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's a conspiracy theory, which is to say that it's a shortcut to intellectual thought. Um, <laughs> No, Barack Obama. He doesn't. He doesn't win re-election without tens of millions, tens of millions of white people voting okay. for him. Uh, to, for Geraldo Rivera uh, to speak with such blatant generalities is just irresponsible. Um, yeah. I mean, you are right, though. To harken back to your to your first point, there there ninety eight percent of the country wants to buy into Dr. Martin Luther King's dream of a colorblind society, right? 
Right. Uh, but but there are people, um, Black Lives Matter, if you will, like their their stake, their legitimacy is is directly tied to racial animus throughout the the American uh, electorate, throughout right. the entire country. They don't exist if 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 there is harmony. You know, mm-hmm. Al Sharpton would be out of a job. Uh, today, if, if 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 none of those things existed, so they have to amplify it. They have to make uh, mountains out of out of molehills, which isn't to say that there are not issues. But if right. any conversation is going to be had, it's certainly not going to be led by people who only live to divide. Exactly. Well said. Well said. And you know, one of the things Dr. King said as as I um as um as we conclude here is. He he admitted there were issues. He said that there were uh, obviously. He said that he was disappointed in America. But then he followed that up by saying, "But there can be no disappointment where there is no great love." And I and I feel like um, we we have some people who have gotten away from that, and they don't necessarily have that well, that love um, and, no. and for the for the nation. And we we need that. And no. so um, as we're in the thirtieth year of celebrating uh Dr. King, I you know, my prayer is that we would continue, we would move forward, we would uh, stop the bleeding and we would advance not just um as black people, um, but we do know that in the black community we have some unique needs. But uh ultimately we're all, you know, we're all one and so um we need to walk that way and live that way. And so I appreciate so much your time and your, your thought. So insightful. And uh, continue to do the work that thank you're you. doing out there in the trenches. Thank you for taking the thank time, you. Jerome. Well, thank you for having me on. Thank you so All much. All right. We'll do it again. All righty. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Well, that was my guest, Jerome Hudson. Uh, so, so glad to, to, to hear from him and, and to, to get his uh, his voice on these issues, which are so very, very important. We are going to take a break, and then we're going to come back. Uh, I'm going to play this song. It's it's uh it's a song that came out after uh, Dr. King was given a holiday. It's called King Dream Chorus and Holiday Crew. I mean, it's got it's got like the old school uh, musicians on here. I mean, you've got Whitney Houston and and you got Curtis Blow and and you've got Stacey Ladisaw and uh Menudo and New Edition, although I mean so many of uh of the of the greats had uh had put, come together to, to to play this to make this this song which was like major back then. So let's play this and then we'll be back. Welcome to the Martin Luther King Jr. Center for Nonviolent Social Change. The center is the living legacy to Dr. King and his dream.
to a little bit of the King Holiday song. And uh, I, you know, I just have to tell you, I'm getting messages from uh, people. I'm hearing from people who, for whatever reason, are not able to to get on tonight. So I'm, I don't know. Blog Talk Radio might be having some some issues tonight. I don't know, but hopefully people will will uh, we will push this and they'll be able to catch the podcast. But if um if you are able to get on and, and someone says that they can't, you can let them know that uh, that they can call in. I have a couple people who are actually who called in and they're just listening. The number for, to call in is six four six two zero zero three seven one five. That's six four six two zero zero three seven one five. If you if you know someone who's not on and and, and maybe they may, mentioned it. All right, so we will we will persevere. Again, we had Jerome Hudson on with us. Uh, he is uh, a columnist with uh, with Breitbart News. He's an investigative reporter, a political analyst. He is uh, a great great mind in terms of race relations. He covers that for us um, at Breitbart, and uh, so we were enjoying com- conversing with him. I think I almost said conversating. I do not say conversating, people. It is not a word, but we were enjoying our conversation with with him. And now we are going to to move on to to talking about politics in the time that we have remaining. Uh things are really really amping up in the political arena. Um as I said tonight the president will give his final state of the state of the union address, but Thursday night on the 14th we have a, another debate, another GOP presidential debate. And uh this one is Fox Business is uh, moderating. And so we have, uh, as we have been having all along, we have a main debate and we have, preceding that, an undercard debate. Now, qualifying for the main debate are Trump, and in this order, okay, uh, as far as the polls are, we have Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Ben Carson, Chris Christie, Jeb Bush, and John Kasich. So we have those who have qualified for the main debate, which will be uh, moderated by Neil Cavuto and Maria Bartiroma. Trump, Cruz, Rubio, Carson, Christie, Bush, and Kasich, okay? Undercard debate, we have uh, those who qualify for that, or maybe we should say didn't qualify for the main debate, are uh, Senator Rand Paul, we have uh, Carly Fiorina, we have um, Mike Huckabee, and we have Rick Santorum. And that will be moderated by Trish Regan and, and Sandra Smith. Now, the thing about it is Senator Rand Paul has now announced that he is not going to participate. You noticed that he will not be a part of the main debate. I just said that he's part of the undercard debate. He found that out. He's not happy. He's complaining about being in the undercard debate, okay, and he's blaming the media. So this is what he said. He's not going to participate at all if he cannot be on the main stage. I find that very, very interesting. And so I want to actually, uh, I want to play for you his his comments about that, and and we can we can talk about about what you think of the fact that uh, that he's just opted not to do it at all. Take a listen to this bill. All right. So just to wrap it up, where we began. Fox News, uh, the Fox Business Channel has told you you will not be on the main stage in the Thursday night debate, and, and your response to them was? 
It's a mistake because the thing is, is we actually have been in the top five or six in most of the recent polls. In fact, last week in a national poll, we were just one point out of fourth place. So I think it's a, a mistake to try to exclude me from the national debate. And uh, we're going to make sure the voters know that. But we're going to take our message directly to Iowa, directly to New Hampshire. We're going to let voters decide this. So that means you will not go to that debate. You won't be in the so-called undercard No, I think, I think an artificial designation as being in the second tier is something that uh, we don't want to accept that because it really sort of points fingers and says, well, are you really going to be a contender? We are a contender. We think we have a national campaign that can contend for victory, and we can't accept sort of an artificial designation by anybody. So you won't attend this yeah. debate, you won't be in the undercard. I just want to be precise. Okay? Absolutely. I, I, won't, I won't participate in anything that's not the first tier because we have a first tier campaign. And you notify Fox of that. We'd let them know that. Okay. I'm utterly blown away by that. Okay. We cannot accept that we're not first tier. And, and so we're not going to accept that. You know what? You cannot accept it all you want, Senator Rand Paul, but it doesn't make it any less true. And so it, it just seems to me in this, in this race with so many people, it's time for him and it's time for other people to accept some things that they, quote, can't accept. It's like not opening your mail. Not opening your mail doesn't mean that you won't be sitting in the dark if you don't pay your bill. You know, so you might say you have a top tier campaign, but the people determine that. And the people obviously have determined that Rand Paul does not have a top-tier campaign. You know, here's, here's my deal with, with, with Senator Rand Paul. This is just not his time. And I'm not sure it ever was, and I'm not sure it ever will be, but I know that this is not his time. You know, when people think about, about Rand Paul, they think about isolationism. They think that, that he won't do what's necessary to keep Americans safe in the, in the face of, of terrorist uh, threats. They think of the NSA, and that's simply not foremost in people's minds right now. So I, I'm not sure, you know, when, when people say Rand Paul and your first thought is NSA and people reading your emails or, or not getting involved in, in fighting terrorism, that's not where we are. So you know what? Honestly, I'm not sure it matters whether he participates or not because I don't see him being able to win over more people. You know, those who love Rand Paul, like those who love his father, they're going to, as they say, stand with Rand no matter what. And, and if you're listening and you're offended, I apologize, but let's just be honest. I don't see him winning over more people at this point. You know, I don't know what more he has to say that he hasn't said already. But I do feel that not saying, you know what, if I can't be on the main stage because I deserve to be there because I can't accept it because we have a top tier campaign, no matter what the numbers say. So I'm just going to take my toys and go home. I think that's childish. And, and I, I, I find his refusal to participate in the undercard debate a slap in the face of the candidates who do value that debate who believe that Americans have a right to hear your answers to questions no matter what time slot you're in, no matter who's on the stage with you. Get over your ego and participate. You know, we already feel, many people already feel like they have a president who's arrogant, some say. We don't need another one, not that, that he has a chance, but we certainly don't need another one. You know what, I, you know, I, I belong on the main stage, so I'm not going to show up. <coughs> See, I'm all choked up. <clears throat> all choked up over Rand Paul. Excuse me. But my, my goodness, what a slap in the face for people like <clears throat> like Rick Santorum and Mike Huckabee and others who said no matter where I'm placed, I owe it to the people to answer questions. I'm running for president. Now contrast Rand Paul's reaction 
to Carly Fiorina. You think she was happy? No. She had been on the on the undercard stage before. <clears throat> and she doesn't want to be there again, I'm sure. But she is. So what 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 did she say to a to a radio um on a radio interview? She said, Well, you know, these polls are all over the map. So it sounds like she doesn't agree with the polling. These polls are all over the map, she said. In the Fox News poll, she said, I'm in sixth place, which would qualify me. But, hey, I'll debate anyone, anytime, anywhere. I'll be in South Carolina, and what I know is that polls don't win elections, voters do. That's the kind of response that people want. That's the kind of response that the American people deserve. And I'm not pumping up Carly Fiorina. She is not my candidate. I have not endorsed her or anyone. Not that my endorsement matters, but I'm just saying. But she voiced the fact, you know what, I don't like it. I don't know that I agree with it. But um, I'll, debate, I'll debate anyone anywhere. That's somebody that you can even, you can look at and say, you know what, I'll consider what this person has to say. But if you're just too good, I, you know, it's like, really? No, not working. So anyway, um, the debate is Thursday night. Fox Business, check it out. And then we we know that there are some shakeups in the um well we do before there's some shakeups in um with the GOP also with uh Dr Ben Carson we know that a couple of his uh, staff members quit and and he sounds like he's very happy about that that things are going to be different he says he's going to be more energetic which um, would be great um I found it interesting because even while he was talking about being more energetic I was hoping for more energy but anyway um as far as the Democrats are concerned. Some shaking up there because um, Bernie Sanders is leading uh, Hillary Clinton in Iowa. He was already leading in New Hampshire. And the interesting thing is Joe Biden. Joe Biden made some comments um, about uh, Bernie Sanders' authenticity. He praised his authenticity as it pertains to economic, you know, his fight against economic inequality. And people were saying that he was dissing Hillary Clinton. So that's been all the conversation and. Of course, he said no, and Josh Ernest pushed back on it. Um, but people are starting to wonder what the deal is with Joe Biden because lately he's been talking about the fact that he regrets the decision not to run. In fact, he said he regrets it every day. He believes it was the right decision for his family. He regrets it every day. And when asked about it, he said that he's learned never to say no. So some people are wondering, with all the issue going on with Hillary Clinton now, with the fact that she might be indicted with new info coming out about that, those emails. Um, I mean, new, you know, the new information that maybe they're trying to keep Biden in the wings and he might have to get pushed out there. So we will see how that, how that works, um, how it all goes down. And we also know that, that Gary Johnson, former governor of New Mexico has uh, jumped into the race. I'm like, okay, what's up with that? Uh, I, whatever. Anyway, Ted Cruz, who thought that we would be facing another birther issue? But here we are. Here we are, another birther issue. Ted Cruz, born in Canada, to a mom of the U.S. citizen. You guys have been, I'm sure if you're listening, you're probably up, up to speed on this, or at least somewhat. But now the fact that he was born in Canada is coming up, and Donald Trump is playing it like a fiddle. Um, so the conversation is whether he qualifies as a natural-born citizen if he can actually be the president. And, uh, you know, it kind of seems straightforward to me. He's born abroad, but he's 
uh, he's the son of a, a U.S. citizen, I would figure, yeah, you're a natural-born citizen. And some say, yes, that's clear. The Constitution is clear on that. And other people say, well, the Constitution really doesn't uh, doesn't address it, and it's going to be an issue. But ultimately, I guess the experts say that the courts have not had to deal with this. And so uh, unless it's brought up, it's, it's really unknown how, how it unfolds. You know, Trump is the one who's kind of been trumpeting this and kind of playing playing it like the master politician that, that he appears to be. And, uh, you know, Cruz calls it nonsense. Uh, Cruz, you know, Trump says, I don't know if Cruz is a natural born citizen. Um, and he he commented that, you know, as, as the master that he is, uh, he said, well, I'm glad that Cruz renounced his Canadian citizenship 18 months ago, which is a bit of a dig because he's suggesting that he only did it so that he can run for president. But he's continuing along those lines of conversation. He's saying, I don't know if he's a citizen, a natural born citizen, but he's trying to suggest that it will be an issue. He's keeping it out there, I think, purposely playing the politics game so that people will... um, will think that if we, if he's our nominee, as he's rising in the polls, then this is going to be a problem because the, the Democrats are going to make it a problem. And we even know that Josh Ernest, for example, you know, the president's press secretary, even jumped on this, which I was surprised after everything that President Obama went through with that whole birth issue. But listen to what Josh Ernest said. Good afternoon, everybody. Apologize for the delay. Uh, look, I, the, I, I, it would be quite ironic uh, if, after seven or eight years of drama around the president's birth certificate, if um, Republican primary voters were to choose uh, Senator Cruz as their nominee, somebody who actually wasn't born in the United States and only 18 months ago renounced his Canadian citizenship. You think he's a legitimate candidate? Do you, are you questioning his? Okay. Um, and then <laughs> the international community is united in insisting that the North. Hmm. So there you have the White House basically saying, "Oh, wouldn't this be something?" Uh, after everything that the Republicans did, and even John McCain had something to say. Well, you heard Nancy mention Barry Goldwater and John McCain, who were both born outside the United States but became Republican presidential nominees. On Wednesday, John McCain said he's not sure if Ted Cruz is eligible to be president. The answer, according to lawyers, is his mother was American, so he's a naturalized citizen. But that's never really been I do not. I do not know the answer to that. I know it came up in my race because I was born in Panama, but I was born in the Canal Zone, which is a territory. Barry Goldwater was born in Arizona when it was a territory mm-hmm. when he ran in 1964. But you were born on a base, Court. too, weren't you? Yeah, it was okay. on, it's a U.S. military base. Yeah. That's different from being born on foreign soil. So they think I think there is a question. I am not a constitutional scholar on that, but I think it's worth uh, looking into. Hmm. It's worth looking into, said Senator John McCain. Now, I respect Senator McCain's military service. But we do know that he is no fan of Ted Cruz. So no surprise, as far as I'm concerned, that he would suggest uh, what he did 
you know, he has called him and others wacko birds at times. So my guess is that John McCain is behind uh, Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio is that establishment choice. And uh, and so he would love to, I think, Senator McCain would love to keep that hanging over his head and uh, and causing doubt in people's minds. So uh, it kind of kind of interesting, but this is this is what what goes on in politics. I mean, is it legitimate? Uh, listen, if somebody wants to bring it up in court, I guess that they'll have to make that decision. So, all right, well, um, we are down to to the last few minutes of of our time together, and uh, before I finish, I I want to just to just mention, of course, the state of the the state of the union again is uh, coming up shortly. I may run just a few minutes into overtime here, but the State of the Union is um, is going to be the president's final one. And the interesting thing about it is that the president has decided that he would have an empty chair uh, in Michelle Obama's guest box to represent those who have been killed via gun violence. And this is all, of course, on the heels of his executive gun control push. And so he will have that empty chair and he will also have a Syrian refugee there. So we know he's going to push push his agenda. We also know that he's going to be touting, obviously, what he feels he has done over the last several years. It's going to be very difficult for me to stomach, but I will do it nonetheless. Um, the, The empty chair, I mean, obviously, we honor those who have been killed and uh, and it's it's sad, horrific, heinous. Anyone to be gunned down, but um, it is a, I believe a political a political move. Empty chair. Um, I wrote an article. I just I wanted so for happy news. I hear the newspaper is called the Southeast Missourian, and I I do writing for them. I'm on the editorial board, but um, I was also um, honored to have been given my own weekly column which my first, my first article was published today. And so I'm really, really excited. So every week there'll be a column and I'm, my, I'm right there today, right above a nationally syndicated columnist, Catherine Lopez. There's my article and it's entitled Obama's empty chair and sincere empty tears. And what I meant by that is the fact that I know that there are people who say, oh, the president was not sincere when he cried, when he talked about Sandy Hook, when he announced his executive orders on gun control. Now I, I'm of the mindset that he was absolutely sincere in his tears, um, but that they were still empty. He cries for gun control. He's crying for those lives lost as well. But his way of handling it isn't helpful. Uh, Admittedly, the things that he's proposing would not have stopped any of the mass shootings. So those tears are not effective. Um, and I want to know, as many other people want to know, where are the tears when we talk about Planned Parenthood and, and, and how they sell baby parts? Where, where are the tears? Where were the tears for James Foley, American journalist, beheaded when the president left that announcement and went and played golf? So his tears for gun control uh, during his gun control speech speak to what matters to him. And, and and those tears speak to what don't matter to him. And so they are, in my opinion, empty. And there will be an empty chair, which I'm all for honoring the loss, but I'm not for political posturing. And I do think that that's something that he is engaging in. 
tonight. But that State of the Union is uh, about to take place. In fact, I just turned my head and looked at the television, and there's Sheila Jackson Lee, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, whom I started the show talking about. She's there ready to mow down anybody who gets in her way as she is trying to kiss the president, as she does every year. I just want to thank you for tuning in. There's so much more that we could talk about, uh, and there's always so much more that we can talk about, So, um, but, but we don't have time. So we're going to move on. Remember, Thursday night, you're going to watch, I hope, the GOP debate on Fox Business, the undercard minus Rand Paul, as well as the main debate. And tonight, the president's final State of the Union address. And uh, and also on Monday is Dr. King Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And we did have our guests really breaking down some issues on race force. Um, so if you missed any part of the show, please make sure you go uh, and check it out. Share with other people. Like us on Facebook as well as um, following us on Twitter. We appreciate it. Um, we are The Right Voice Radio on Facebook and at The Right Voice One on Twitter. Appreciate your time. Appreciate uh, all that you do. Continue to keep the faith. God bless you. And uh, we're going to catch you next time. Every Tuesday night, 8 to 9 p.m., The Right Voice with Adrian Ross. I'll catch you next time. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same as we are liberated from our own fear. Our presence automatically liberates others. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.